Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Shrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 46 years of industry experience. Back with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a veteran in the automotive industry with over 42 years of experience. Hello, Brian. Hey, good morning, Rob. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that's been driving a long time, knows the Wisconsin roads like the back of his own hand and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Well, let's hop in, buckle up, and hit the road. Today, we're talking about dashboard warning lights. What is your car trying to tell you? Automotive electronics have changed a lot over the years. Not only has the functionality of the dashboard Change from a wood plank designed to keep the mud and manure from spattering up on you while your horse dashes to a technical information center, but also what your dashboard lights are telling you as a car driver. The first attempt to allow a car to communicate with its driver was made in 1930s by the Hudson Motor Car Company. The system couldn't really qualify as a warning light because it would light up just before or at the time of a major breakdown. There's no question why they were called idiot lights. In the 80s, computerized controlled systems came on the scene which allowed us as drivers to connect with multiple systems of the car. These systems were cumbersome, while each manufacturer had its own dialogue. It wasn't until 1996 that a standard diagnostic system became a requirement for all vehicles sold in the United States. Today, automotive technology has accelerated further and faster than ever before. So let's jump in and break it down. Well, if you own or simply drive a car, your most common view is that dashboard we just talked about. It's full of information if we know what it's telling us. And that's what we're here to talk about today. There's a lot of information coming at us on the dashboard, especially with today's automobiles. Brian, what kind of information are we getting just at a glance in the beginning? What kind of things are we looking at on our dashboards? I guess the critical ones are the check engine light. That's typically amber. Your oil pressure, making sure you're not overheating. The basic functions that have been there for the last 50, 60, 70 years. So like your mile per hour? Yeah, your odometer's on yeah, there. That's an important one that's, to make sure you're going <laughs> yeah. in the speed limit. It can be an expensive one if you don't <laughs> yes, follow <again>. that one. <laughs> But your critical ones, like your oil pressure, making sure you're not overheating and so on. You know, the one, though, that has been there, I think, for a long time is the whole RPM I monitor. think mostly they're always there, aren't they? Right. The RPM. So my times. first question is, whoever looks at the RPM and why should I be ever looking at the RPM? When you're towing. <laughs> okay. If yeah. you're going downhill, want to make sure a lot of times you'll use your transmission as part of the braking system, shifting to a lower gear. Yeah, good point. If you're out west. You definitely want to keep an eye on the RPM at that point. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's irrelevant. The car is doing it for you. Specific things like that. And you can get into racing and all of that, but that's a whole different. Let's back it up just for a moment here. RPM means? Revolutions per minute. Okay, and that means the speed of your engine, not the speed of your car. So that's actually the rotation that your engine is doing doesn't always relate to the speed of your car. That's directly tied to the transmission, what gear yeah. you're in. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the better you understand what that RPM is, the more apt you are going to be to look at that and just kind of watch it. So could I assume that possibly the history of that is like when vehicles, you had to sh manually shift so that I'm seeing that my RPMs are not going over before I shift to the next gear. So I'm in the proper gear 
for the speed with which I'm going. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Because it's just, it's been there for so long that it had to have a purpose when it went in. Uh, you dial it back a few years ago, semis with the diesel engines were very reliant on the RPM of the engine when you shift, or it's not going to shift okay. with the manual transmission. So you had to get up to a certain RPM in order to be able to shift. Yep. Oh, interesting. So it was a very useful gauge. Absolutely. Yep. And there's other things that you see on your dash as well. I can't remember, Brian, if you mentioned fuel level. Another important yeah. one, because you don't want to run <laughs> out of gas anywhere. or and, fuel. And almost every car has an arrow pointed to the side of your fuel. Great information. Tank. Where your gas cap yeah. is. Yeah. You're not that dummy <laughs> driving up around. on the wrong side. <laughs> and then you drive around while you're facing the other direction, but you're still on the wrong side. Absolutely. We've never seen that. <laughs> never at all. And then some vehicles actually have an amp gauge or what is commonly referred to as a battery gauge. Not all of them. Some of them just light up when there's a problem, but some of them have those as well. Also in today's cars, the GPS. So as we're sitting in that cockpit, we're looking at potentially a GPS screen that can tell us where to go. Navigation. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot going on just at a glance in the beginning as you're talking about a dash. There's a lot more behind the dash that comes out to talk to you as we're going to talk more further here. One of the things when you turn your key to the on position, that's what's called a bulb check. So it wants to find out, dial it back 20 years ago, everything was bulbs. Now it's LEDs. Yeah. But those can still burn out. So if you turn your key to the on position and you make sure all the lights are come on are supposed to be there. So let's pretend that the oil pressure light bulb burned out, oil pressure LED burned out, and you didn't know what your oil pressure was. Nobody does that, but you should be checking to make sure all the lights are coming on before you start. That is interesting, too, because that really is just the pre-test, the self-test that the car does when you turn the... So, just back up here, when you turn the key on without starting it, even just in the run position is when you're going to see these lights light up. And it's only just for a couple seconds. Is that correct? Very short period of time. So, if you're going to do a test, you got to be really quick at this and kind of identify what's coming on and what's not. So, then with that, now that we have push button... So that intermediary first push is the same thing. Ah, I have to look for good that quest. the next time I'm in a car with a push button. Good thought. You got a push button in your car, right, Bill? Yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's like you always just push to start. But to that point, digital, do we have the same equation <laughs> to make sure that all the lights are actually working? Yeah, very good information. So this is, again, what we're seeing when we just hop into the cockpit of our car. We're seeing all this given to us, information coming at us that we can absorb. There's also information that can come at us as the car has problems or your turn signal's on. It's showing you that light, a lot of different communication coming at you. The common term, I think, is like a check engine light or check engine soon light. That's when talking about dashboard lights or warning lights, that's usually the first one that comes up. But that's not the only one. There's a lot more back there, Brian, right? The tire pressure monitor light is one that's really come to light nowadays it's yes we need to check our air pressure but a lot of people really can i drive my car maybe maybe not you don't know tpms right we're talking okay so maybe just get out of the car and walk around to that tire and just kind of look at it and check it because that's the way we used to do it that light that has like a little flat tire with the exclamation in the middle correct correct because i mean that's a hundred percent i mean it's clear sort of but not 100% clear. I get people all the time asking, right. what's this light? Right. TPMS. Okay. 
checking the air pressure to make sure. And if it is too low, you can definitely do some damage and get into an accident because of it. Right. But a lot of times with our weather changes, the light will come on. It's only like a pound or two off. And just a quick fill them back up after the cold snap. We'll solve that and fix that. Many convenience stores, you can stop by and fill those up yourself. Or, of course, anytime you want to stop into any Sherrill Tire and Service, we'll do that for you. So air pressure in your tires is very important for traction, safety, as Brian referred to, and also fuel mileage. I think we have a whole nother podcast. We, we do. About that. <laughs> in depth. So there's a lot to the dashboard warning lights. And what I mean by that, they're actually color-coded. And there are many that can pop up in your dash. And I'm not sure if every car has the full range of dashboard warning lights. Brian, what are your thoughts on this? How many lights are there potentially? (laughs) Well, each car is not going to have all of them, like you said. We found a picture of a dashboard with 64 different lights on it. Oh, my gosh. And that's probably not accurate anymore. It's probably more. So there's all kinds of different ones out there. It's color coding is the biggest thing. Red needs immediate attention. So if something comes on that's red, get to a spot where you can pull over safely. And if you don't know what it is, your owner's manual is going to have a picture of it in there to better help you identify what it is. Amber is what most of them are. There's a few that are green. There's blue. So amber is kind of a warning color. Yep. Not immediate need, but... My car is telling me something. I need to look at it. And I've noticed green is like when something's active, a system is active. Like Cruise control right, would be a good exactly. one. That's when I was thinking about Headlights like, are okay, on. Right. I turn it on and, Maybe. oh, yeah, my cruise is active. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Blue for your high beams. Okay. That's yeah. a pretty standard color. So, yeah, your car definitely is talking to you. And I think there are all those variable symbols for all these systems that start to extend response you know like i'm just thinking of like now they have the mirrors that like reflect when somebody's in your blind spot blind spot those are amber they're not necessarily red but i couldn't tell you what that symbol looks like it's just you know, like it kind of flashes in your eye a lot of them are triangles okay yeah so 64 or more as you said possible warning lights i mean we may as well be flying a plane if you look at a plane <laughs> dashboard, we could be on a plane. It's just crazy what... Hopefully what, they're not all on at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> if they are, there's something seriously wrong. But like you mentioned, not every manufacturer car probably has all of them. So there are some differences between each type of vehicle or light truck. And you also brought a very important point up that we always backtrack or back up to the owner's manual. For your particular car, open that glove box if you're curious. After our podcast, open the glove box up, grab your owner's manual, and it'll explain what your vehicle has and how it's trying to talk to you. As with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away halfway through and go on a Wisconsin road trip to an interesting destination. And the one we've chosen to visit today is a place called, or city, or town called Mineral Point, Wisconsin. And Mineral Point is located down in the southwest corner of Wisconsin, which is also known as the... Driftless region. Driftless region. And what does that mean, Bill? I mean, it's kind of like the negative, that it's the area where we did not have, or this geography of Midwest did not have a glacial drift. So it is part of Wisconsin. It's in Minnesota and Iowa where... 
the glacier came down. I can't tell you if it actually went around the area and head everywhere. But in Wisconsin, that's pretty much the line on where the glacier came down and stopped and started to melt. So it left this area untouched, right. exactly, which means a lot of hills, hills and valleys and mountains, are just right. gorgeous, gorgeous part landscape. of the state. And that's what made Lake Wisconsin back in the, well, 10 plus thousands years ago is the glacier stopped, left the driftless region hilly and rolling, and the rest of it melted, made a huge, great Lake Wisconsin. And that was actually the last wow. glacial retreat in Northern Hemisphere. So, like, that's topography and the sand deposits within this area of Wisconsin was very interesting for people who study that because it was the end of the glacial year. Wow, there's a lot of information there. You're probably wondering, our listeners are wondering, why did you choose this area other than for its sheer beauty? But there's a deep history here. As we research, there's a lot had been going on in Mineral Point. And there's a lot of things to see now because of it. So it was a mining town. Correct. And isn't that where we became the Badgers? I was going to say, there's a trivia question you can have with your friends. Ask them why this Wisconsin is named the Badger State. Most people think because of because the Badgers. Because the animal. Right. Yeah. yeah. We do have a fair amount of Badgers living in Wisconsin. But we got the miners that did the lead mines and they dug like Badgers. Into the side. Into the hills. Yeah. So the workers actually dug these holes, and they referred to them as badger holes. They look like badgers digging their mines. That's where we got it. Wow. Uh, So some of the other research that I had come up with is that really Wisconsin, for the most part, started in the Mineral Point area because of the mining. Lead mining, zinc, later discovered zinc at the bottom of the lead mines. Lead mining had started way back, I believe, in the 1600s. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that had happened in this area, now known for its farming and cattle. In the 1600s, it would have been the Native Americans. Native Americans, yeah. The English settlements came in in the early 1800s, and they were mining at that point. So, with this deep, rich history, of course, that leaves a lot behind for us to see today, what would we go to Mineral Point today as a road trip? and be able to do. I think you could walk the streets for sure and see a lot of old homes. I mean, wasn't the first Henry Dodge was inaugurated in Mineral Point as the first territory was formed. So I believe that the place of that is a historical marker. And Mineral Point was the first designated historical place in the state back in 1971. So that's like a really interesting aspect of a national registry. So there's been a lot of preservation done with the buildings. and Started back in 1935 with two gentlemen that started to restore things on Shakerag Street. And I believe, if my memory from elementary school history is correct, <laughs> that on Shakerag Street, that's why I got the call, because the miners and the badgers are up the hill. And the people making lunch and things would go outside and shake rags and that the miners would see oh, down in the city and say, oh, it's time to go home for lunch, dinner, whatever that might be. And it became Shake Rag Street. And the downtown area of Mineral Point, the architecture is just outstanding. Those old buildings down there have been restored in a beautiful downtown. So a good walking tour, it sounds like. Also, I found that there's an interpretive walking trail that takes you through the lead and zinc mining pass. So you can actually walk through the Merry Christmas Mine Hill Trails and prairie. So you can see where some of these mining tunnels or badger holes were made way back when. 
a lot of those old mining holes had been filled in back in the day when they stopped mining. But there's a lot of that you can see as well. When you mentioned the prairie, I mean, the bluegrass and the prairie grasses, those were fed for the cattle back in the day and that there was a stamp or a line or a sale of beef that was necessarily grazing on that particular product back in the day in Chicago. Wow. And if you're going to spend the day or the weekend or even a week down there, of course, there's all kinds of trails that you can hike, trails that you can bike. And if golf is your thing, there's the Dodge Point Golf and Country Club. So there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things to do, something for everybody in your family. And especially in just a very interesting geography aspect of the state and in the Midwest. Well, that's one more thing that's back on my list. I have not been there. I've driven by there on the interstate, but I've never stopped. That's definitely something I'm going to do. So coming back from our road trip, we're going to talk more a little bit in depth about dashboard warning lights and what they mean and what our car is trying to tell us. We're going to kind of go through a series of questions that we can kind of hash out here. And like I said before, kind of break it down. I have one question before we go on. Back in the day, we were talking about and we kind of moved on to the digital aspect of all these 64 plus lights and so on and so forth. But when it all started in the very basic, were those lights monitored by cables? Now, back in the Hudson yeah, in the 1930s? Like, right. I mean, initially, or even in the 60s or 50s, were there cables that were going? How do these lights turn on and off in the vehicle? Now I can think of it as a big computer, but when they started, what was really running the show? Oil pressure would have a tube leading from a port off the engine to the oil pressure gauge. Yes. So it was actually the actual oil pressure versus electric signal that is used nowadays. The amp meter, which isn't used at all anymore, it's a voltage meter, had a electrical wire coming right from the alternator going through this amp meter and going right back to the alternator. So it was actually measuring the current going through versus the voltage. Cars could burn up because of that, because of the full voltage, <laughs> the amperage coming from the alternator could short circuit and cause the car to burn up. What about gas? I mean, like, what is actually in my gas tank that tells me how much is in the tank? There's a float, like a toilet, where it drops down and goes back up. It's measuring the electrical signal off of that, the resistance coming through, and sending a signal back to the computer now. Older days, right directly to the fuel gauge in the dash. Of course, these days, it gets even better. It'll tell you how many miles you have left on that tank of gas based on your fuel mileage. Right. So that's another bit of information. about 10 miles. I haven't pushed it any farther than that. (laughs) Yeah. It's usually pretty accurate. It does pretty well. But it's all based on how you're driving, how much accelerator you're giving it, how many downhills. It's absolutely amazing on a road trip to watch that. So we pretty much covered the dashboard of a 1950s Chevy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to think of, you know, like even the speedometer, that's a cable, right? That was a cable. It's spin inside the dash. Okay. And your mileage, we didn't even mention that, like the mileage readout of how many miles you've traveled. Is that attached to the wheels and it's a little clicker that goes around? It's attached to the transmission Back in the day, and it was cable operated up to the speedometer head, which the odometer then fed directly off of that. Okay. So those two were the same cable driven from the transmission. Now it's electronic through the body control module, sending a signal to the dashboard. The body control module now, you've used a really (laughs) fancy term that I don't think anybody knows. Jargon alert. That our car has a body control module. Our cars nowadays can have 
20, 30 different computers on them. Is that really the case? That oh, goodness, many? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, body control, your engine control module, your heating and air conditioning. BCM, ECM. Yeah, and the one thing we didn't even mention earlier was the whole radio system. Oh, yeah, I mean, sound system. Like, right, the sound gives you all this readout and information as well. And where do I want my speaker sound to come out of? We're getting kind of spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like, we are. Yeah, think about that. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we won't even go this direction because we have another podcast about this, but lane deviation, cruise control variables. Oh, I love that one. That one is so great. You were telling me the other day that you would never be without it. But, you know, that is the dashboard. I mean, all of that information, you only interact with those things based on symbols and readout at the dashboard. That's why knowing what it is right. is so important. And how to do it, too. <laughs> it's, it comes back to your bulb check. It's just, right. okay, I've got all these different lights. What happens when it comes on? I really should know what it is. The color coding helps. If it's red, stop. If it's yellow, we better be looking. But it's not an emergency. So that really brings up another good point, too. A question that had come in from one of our listeners is, how can I tell the difference between a system failure light? I think more of the red color is, or was it yellow? Red. Red color and a maintenance reminder. I know on some vehicles, a maintenance reminder will pop up. It almost looks like a check engine or check system light. Like your oil's running low. Like, how does it know that? Yeah. There's a sensor in the engine. <laughs> but when you take it in for that, light that you're unsure what it means it's just a matter of resetting it and the car dealership or the manufacturer goes in and rechecks something so how do you know the difference between that the check engine light we keep coming back to that one if that's flashing that's typically a misfire in the engine and at that point that's something that should be addressed pretty quickly so that's almost a pull over to the side of the road thing when it's flashing okay it's getting to that point okay because you probably could damage other parts in your car. It's not good for it. Okay. What are some of the other common... We talked about the TPMS, Tire Pressure Monitoring System. That's a very common light that you'll see come on. Other common lights that we might want to be aware of. The ABS. What is that? That's one of those lights that flashes on, flashes off, and is telling me something about my brakes, right? It can be two different things. You could be in actual ABS with anti-lock braking system. So okay. your brakes are pumping to bring you to a safe stop. Without skidding. Without locking up. Oh, so that goes back to when before that existed, you hit ice in Wisconsin, the whole pump your brakes. Exactly. Okay. And it's doing it hundreds, if not thousands of times a minute, where you could do it a few times a minute. So it's much quicker. The downside to that is we're maintaining steering control because of it. And we can steer into an accident. Instead of sliding into a car that's in front of us, we could have the ability to steer and go into the ditch. So maintaining your speed and your distance is probably even more important now because of anti-lock brakes. It's allowing us to maintain control. So tell me that. So you're saying that because it's allowing me to maintain control, my aversion or thought of, I don't want to hit the car in front of me, I'm going to veer to the right or to the left. To try and get around that accident. And because the car is letting me do that, I may necessarily cause a different accident exactly. versus the one that's possibly safer and I'm seeing it going to happen. I'm sliding. 
Okay. It comes back to the left or the right blind spot, and like little cars going to go off, and I'm going to hit another car. It's not allowing us to stop faster. It's allowing ah. us to stop with control. Okay. And maintaining speed and distance in adverse conditions is even more important because of that. That makes sense. Critically saying it doesn't stop you faster. It just makes you stop with control. Correct. Is a very big difference of because I would have assumed that that's going to help me stop faster because it's doing what I've been told to do and it's going to help me stop. The other thing is if you're not used to an anti-lock brake situation, it's exactly Bill's shaking here. Then you think something's wrong. The brake pedal is pounding back against you. Yeah. It's pushing against your foot and now you may panic and take your foot off the brake. I would suggest in a snowy situation, going to a big open parking lot with no cars around and try it. So at least you get the feeling of what's happening. That's a great idea. When the brakes do start locking up and the car now takes over. So it's really trying to help you. It's not working against you. But to that point, it's not a situation where I take my foot off the pedal and let it do what it's supposed to Steady do. Steady and pressure. Okay. Don't take your foot off. Let the car do what it's supposed to do. Well, that is not about dashboard lights, but that's a great information well, about it's, how well, to respond it to it. It comes in. Right, a dashboard so, light and lights up and it's doing its thing. Back to your original question, is it a fault or is it doing it? Well, a lot of cars, the ABS light comes on when you're in an ABS situation, a skidding situation, or the light comes on because the car is broken. The advantage to ABS and traction control, when the light comes on, the computer shuts the system off. So it goes back to what brakes used to be, no traction control, no anti-lock brakes. So the car is, you're now going to have to pump it if you're in that situation. But it reverts back to what I call fail-safe. It fails, so it turns the system off. Well, another light that I have a question about is the whole overheating light. You know, like the engine temperature, the, the radiator. Like a thermometer. The thermometer thing. Light, yeah. Can cars... Like if I'm in traffic in the summer, am I going to overheat? If the car is operating properly, no. Okay. It would have to be so hot and so humid. But if that light comes on, it means something. There's something wrong. Yeah. Okay. Cooling fan isn't turning on, bringing cold air or cooler air over the radiator in that stop and go traffic situation. Or you're low on, on coolant, your thermostat fails. And stick shut. There's quite a few different things that can cause that, but that one that comes on is usually red. So overheating is usually a red light and get off safely, but shut the engine down. Because I'm going to open my hood and that's the big steamy yeah, experience. Yeah. Then you know on the there's side of the road. It's not like, just the light. I mean, that's like that traditional before all these things and lights and systems that was what you saw very often and that one can get very expensive serious engine damage can cause by overheating but the odds are that typically that's just not a concern that we really should have our cars operate under conditions where they couldn't even operate 30 years ago right okay this makes up a very good point i should say so typically when a light comes on it means something. Something in that system is not working like it's designed to do. Whether it's a breakdown situation or something to do in the future, the light always means something. And Brian, I would assume that we should not ignore that. There's some lights that are supposed to come on to indicate that high beam headlights. That comes on to, right. to warn you and yeah. let you know. But yeah, in most cases, 
Something's going on and it should be checked. Should be checked. One of the ones that I'm just looking at that 64 plus image that we'll post with the podcast, but windshield wiper wash, when that light comes on, that's an important one because you just never know if all of a sudden you're going to be in a situation where your windshield is covered with bugs. <laughs> yeah, bugs <laughs> or in summer. road salt. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, one of those. It seems so simple, but you get into the semis, the Class 8 trucks, they have to have it in there because it is a safety thing. And if they don't, they get pulled over for an inspection, they can get shut down for that one. As simple as it seems. When you need it, you need it. So be cognizant of that one. So you're down southwest Wisconsin. Down to Mineral Point, it's a little ways away from the river, but all of a sudden you can have a mayfly hatch. Oh my gosh, yes. You want to talk about needing wipers? Yes. I'm not so sure you want to smear that across your windshield, though. It's too late at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You're better off finding a self-service car wash. So, Brian, at what point would you feel our drivers need to seek professional help when we're talking about warning lights, dashboard warning lights coming on? I know it's a big question. Identify the light, get your owner's manual out, look at it, read up on it. If it's something as simple as a windshield washer, then you don't need to seek out anything for that. Fill it on your own or stop by, we'll fill it up for you. Check your oil level. It may come on because of that. Maintenance, the little wrench that sometimes comes up. If you know what that is, you don't need to seek any professional advice at that point. So it really depends on what the light is to be able to answer that question. The seatbelt light. Oh, yeah, good you point. You should be able to figure that one yeah, out. you should on be own. able to. Would you recommend when our listeners do walk into the service center, bring that information in, maybe write it down on a piece of paper and say, I've got these on or this popped up on my dash. Is that a good way to communicate with Absolutely. your service center? Let's go out and take a look at it and go out to your car. I had one not too long ago. It was on a Subaru. I had no idea what it was. And so I got the owner's manual, looked at it. Now, some of our auto parts businesses in town will also put a reader or a code reader on your car for free. What's the benefit to that, if any? The only thing it's going to check is the computer system. So it's not going to check most of these dashboard lights. Okay. It tells you what system that the computer sees that, okay, there's a fault here for some reason. A common one is emissions. Could mean many different things. Is that right? A lot of different things, but you can continue to drive. Okay. You get a check engine light that's flashing with a misfire. It'll tell you it's this cylinder, but you don't know what's wrong with it. Is it the plug? Is it the fuel injector? Is it ignition coil? There's multiple different things that can cause that. So it just tells you the system that it's in to better advise you if I should be able to drive it or not drive it. Because that's really the diagnostic aspect of everything today. I mean, like, you have something wrong with your vehicle, unless it's visually obvious, you're going to be hooked up to a diagnostic machine that's going to evaluate the computer systems. You got to get into and actually back probe the wires. Do I have the proper voltage, the proper ground, things like that. ABS and traction control often come on together. They tie those two together, so... If one system fails, it's going to turn on the check engine light or the, the light for the other system until you know what's going on. It may not identify what part in that system. It'll just failed. tell you what system has failed. Okay. Okay. I'm going to throw you a couple of curveballs here, Brian, and you can beat me up on this later. But <laughs> will a system failure always bring on a dashboard light, a warning light? Good question I got from somebody. I can't think of any that's off the top of my head that's not going to trigger 
one of the lights. At least these days with the 20 some plus computers, everything's monitored, I would assume. To better answer that, going back to emissions testing, which we don't do in central Wisconsin, but down in southeast Wisconsin, the Milwaukee area, emissions testing is part of your license renewal. Many states, California, New York, and all of that, you have to do emissions testing. That used to be a long, drawn-out process where we'd measure the exhaust, what's in the exhaust, what's the oxide to nitrogen, the CO2, the oxygen coming out. Now, the emissions testing is hooking up to the computer. Is there any check engine light on now? Is there any pending codes? Okay, it's seen it this many times. The next time it happens again, it's probably going to trigger a code. So they look for those, do the emissions testing, because the computers are so darn good anymore that they know what's going to happen or what's bound to happen here shortly. That answer your question? That answers my question. Okay. I think I know the answer to my next question, and actually my final question here. Do no lights coming up on your dash mean that the overall health of my car is good? You got to dial back to do all the lights work. Oh, true. Yeah. 99.9% of the time, yes, if there's nothing on in the dash, your car's doing good. Now, is it going to be due for maintenance? That's a different question. So a lot of the car manufacturers have specific things that are typically done around 100,000 miles spark plug replacement, fluid replacement, those intervals have gone so much longer than they used to be. 30 years ago, you have to do a tune-up every year. Now, spark plugs are replaced after 100,000 miles. So, yes, there's things that are going to be due, but won't turn on the check engine light. Won't tell you if your tire tread is low, will it? Nope, but they haven't gotten to that point yet. Well, there are actually, that's a good point, Bill, because there are some mechanical systems on the car that is not monitored by a computer system. So, most cars, there are a few out there, most cars, your brakes may need to be replacement or replaced, but that won't show up on your dash, or you might have a loose tie rod in, uh, steering suspension. brake pad wear monitors. There are a few. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's kind of, yeah, absolutely. Come back to your owner's manual for that to find out what your car is actually telling you and how it can talk to you. Many of the cars are getting so sophisticated that they're actually sending a signal to your smartphone or to your car dealer that something is happening. 100%. Really? Yes. It's an app. You have an app. and uh, Not necessarily even an app. Uh, the General Motors has the satellite feature that's built into it. Not even an app, and it can go to your car dealer. So your car dealer calls you yep. and says, we received this information from There's your something car. going on with your car. Because the owner may not have taken the notice. Yep. Uh, we'll put a piece of tape over that yeah, light. Exactly. <laughs> I'll ignore it. I'll just like blink past it. This really makes you wonder what the future is going to look like because it's really changing fast. And of course, we've talked about autonomy. That's coming up in the future. To be able to get a new key for your car is getting difficult because the chip inside the car has to be registered to the computer. And you have to have certain criteria with the government to be able to get these codes to make the computer because somebody driving by with the keyless can take over control of your car. They can shut the car off while you're driving it if they have the technology to be able to do it. Even saying key, I think we need to change that to fob. To fob, you're right. To the fob. Not even a key anymore. It's not even a key. It's like this fob. Yep, that sends a signal to the onboard computer that says, okay, yep, go ahead and do what the driver told me to do. The sky's the limit. It's just going to change. But the security involved in that is actually government controlled now so that there's a lot of protection for the consumer out there. 
you can't just go out and recreate a key like you did 20 years ago. Right. Just like driving around the neighborhood and, and keep pushing your garage door open. And see if somebody's, and see if somebody's open. <laughs> Fun <laughs> of childhood, you know. <laughs> well, we hope this episode of All About the Car will help you better understand what your car is saying to you. We hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.